We are on the cusp of a major social change. Do you feel it? Even if you don't, make no mistake, change is coming, and it is going to be unforgettable. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Hart, and here on Prime Spark, where we work with and on behalf of women over 55, I want to help you find that spark that will ignite your way forward, reflect your gifts to the world, and illuminate your path through this next stage of life. Through these podcast conversations, I hope to inspire you to see how you can make a significant contribution to some of the gnarly problems that are facing us right now. Join me, and together, let's discover our Prime Spark. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Jen Trowbridge, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Jen Trowbridge is a retirement strategist for women. Jen is daring, an adventure seeker, business owner, and a lover of travel. And she is fiercely committed to helping individuals retire and live their best life. Welcome, Jen. I'm so happy you're here today. Uh, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So just in getting started, let me ask you, do you experience getting older? And if you do, what is that experience? And if you don't, why is it that you think that you don't? I'd have to say I really don't think I, I do necessarily in the, the technical way. Um, I've always kind of looked at life as every day could be my last day. So I think I've always had the mentality of, you know, getting getting things in, doing what I want to do and, and making the most out of life every day, not knowing how long I would or wouldn't have. I think that's a really good way to live. So long as we live it positively that way, um, you know, <laughs> it can be a it can be a real nerve wracking thing. This might be the last day. But to think, you know, this might be what what. Well, well, I really regret at the end of the day not having done it. It turns out to be my last day. And we never know when that is. And, you know, the interesting thing is that's always true. That's true our whole lives. But it gets more and more poignant the older we get, I, th I think. You know, that can be true in any time. Oh, yeah, definitely. You, you never know what's going to happen. You need to make sure you say what you wanted to say, did what you wanted to do, <laughs> and uh, got it all in there. Right. So Jen, um, you work, do you work primarily with women? I know you work with everybody, but do you work primarily with women? Yes, primarily with women. Okay. So, and I think I've heard you say that women need to plan differently from men for retirement. What, why is that? And in what ways, if it's true, if I'm right in remembering that, then in what ways do they need to plan differently? So women in general, statistically are going to live longer than men. 
So we're going to run into a lot more chronic illness problems as we get older. We're the ones that are going to be pretty much left holding the bag when our spouse passes away. So most women generally, you know, you have a certain amount of money coming in. And then when the spouse passes away, you're going to have a little bit less money coming in. You're probably going to jump a tax bracket from married to single, which most people aren't even thinking about, which means you might have the same amount of money coming in, but your tax bracket might've just gone up by 10%, wow. which obviously decreases your money even more. And traditional planners don't really look at this. I mean, unfortunately, the finance industry was created years ago by men for men, and it really hasn't changed <laughs> that much. Um, so traditionally, it's looked at planning for when the husband and wife are both alive and the woman living longer and dealing with her after her husband's passing usually isn't addressed as much. So I wanted to focus on making sure that women are taken care of in the end, also not just hanging out with less money, higher taxes and and health problems. Wow. Yeah, um, all that's true. And um, that you're, you're absolutely right. It It isn't usually pointed out to women. And that is so annoying, you know. So the financial industry is yet one more industry where women haven't been taken into account. I was just uh, not very long ago talking to somebody in healthcare, and so much that's involved in healthcare doesn't take women really into account. From testing of new pharmaceuticals, looking at specific diseases that are most often found in women, we know so much less about all that than for men. Do you see that changing at all in the financial industry? It's changed a little. Um, only about 20% of financial consultants are women still. It's even worse on the diversity side. Only about 4% of financial consultants are anything other than basically white old men. It's, it's very, very biased. Um, I can't say it's overly welcoming for people to come into. So... That was my kind of my goal with dealing with women was also to pull more women into the industry to deal with women, because in the next 10 years, women are actually supposed to have acquired more of the wealth than men. So they're going to be holding on to more of the money, but there's not really people there to service them because a lot of women will not even go to a financial consultant because they don't want to deal with the male attitude. I see it all the time. <laughs> Well, and, and unfortunately, and I, I hope, I hope, I hope this is changing, but unfortunately, many women turn over all of the thinking of financial things to their husbands. So I assume they're reluctant to go to financial consultants because they don't know anything about it and don't want to look so stupid. That's That's pretty much how it goes. They don't want to be talked down to. They don't want to be told what to do. You know, again, that's where we're different. We, you know, have no problem explaining. We want you to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and ask the questions. You know, we're going to speak in a way where you understand what I'm talking about. I don't need to show you I'm the smartest person in the room. I need you to understand what I'm saying. So it's a little different in our communication style. Yes, that is that is what you just said is definitely different. Yes, it is. <laughs> and this seems obvious on the one hand, but why would you say that having a guaranteed stream of in of lifetime income is so important. So when you're growing your money, 
it's very different. It's all about your average growth and the market can go up and down and it, it affects you, but not too much. Once you retire and you start pulling out income, the sequence of returns, which is the order that the stock market's doing its losses and gains in, becomes extremely important because a couple of bad years could completely change your retirement for the rest of your life. And then again, with women, you've got longevity risk. We live longer. So when you set up a guaranteed stream of income, you're taking that longevity risk of you living too long off of you and putting it onto something like an insurance company, where if you live to be 90 or 95, that's their problem, not yours, because they're still paying you money. So it, it takes a lot of stress off. Um, you know, our big thing is providing women comfort, confidence, and clarity in retirement and having a guaranteed stream of income every month, just like when you had a paycheck and you knew what was coming in, seems to give women the ability to chill out a little bit more in retirement. They're not looking at the news going, oh no, my IRA dropped, you know, 50,000. What am I going to do? How much money can I pull out? Instead of that, they know that they have their basic expenses covered. And then everything else is a little, a little easier, you know, if the stock market's up, great, I can afford extras, but I'm not dependent on that for my income. Well, I want to say very clearly, Jenna's not giving any financial advice today. So um, don't run out and do what she said. Think it through for yourself. We're just having her educate us, um, but not tell it, she's not telling us what to do. So just let's be clear about that. I recently put some money from the stock market into an annuity with a life insurance company. And um, a friend of mine, who a male friend, was really upset when he heard I'd done that. He said, no, you don't want to do an annuity. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure about that. So when you said before to have money like with a life insurance company, is that an annuity? Yes. Annuities can be used. You want to do, number one, you want to deal with an A-rated company. You do not want to deal with somebody that's not A-rated. They they have they earn that rating for a reason. And you want to deal with the right type. There's different types of annuities. So you want to make sure that you have the, the correct type where you're not you know losing money. Um, you can set up ones where you're not subject to market risk and it guarantees you an income. So you definitely want to know what type you're getting into. Um, some of them have much higher fees. Some of them are lower. So you need to, to make sure you're dealing with somebody that knows what they're talking about. And also with somebody that has access to anything. If you're dealing with a big brokerage firm, they're going to put you with a company that benefits them. If you're dealing with an independent agent, they can go out to hundreds of annuity companies put in your information and get shot back to them, whatever company is going to be best for you. It's not limited. They have a lot more options as to what to put you in. Right. One of the confusions I have about an, an annuity, when you say a guaranteed stream of income, I watch every year my expenses go up, even if my income isn't going up. Really? So, if the, <laughs> so if the guaranteed stream of income doesn't go up, don't I end up in a difficult situation? So there's two ways to look at that. You could either have the guaranteed income that stays level, and then you want to have some money also in the stock market to compensate for inflation. So you'll use your stock market money to grow for down the road. 
because the stock market performs pretty good over a longer period of time. It's just a short period of time that it causes a problem. So you could use that as an inflation buffer, or they do have income annuities that will go up either by inflation or with stock market performance, but they'll start at a lower payment. So if there's one that's level, your payment will start higher. If it's increasing, your payment will start lower. So if you have the ability to balance out with the stock market, that's probably your best bet because you're going to get the higher payment and then you're going to use that stock market money to compensate for inflation down the road. Otherwise, you can start lower and get one that does increase. So it sort of depends on your current situation and how much money you need to be getting now. Yep. Yeah. Everybody's very different on, on what they need. You know, income annuities, I, I'm very transparent with them. You know, it's something that you use for you to have income. It's not somewhere you put money to leave money for your children. There might be money left there. There might not. You don't use it as something to, to leave as a legacy. It's all about you and all about income. That's its only job. It'll do an amazing job at it. But that's what it's for. It's not for leaving a legacy or going in and taking out cash at different points. It's only about income for you. Right. When they're used correctly, then they're great. I have years ago, the financial advisor I was working with at that point, and she's retired now, uh, which was at least as scary as losing your hairdresser. I mean, you know, really. <laughs> um <laughs> She said, this was years ago, that she thought I should stop getting, oh, the kind of insurance if you can't work anymore. Uh, disability insurance? Disability, yeah. She thought I should, uh, that I needed to switch, but I couldn't afford to have it all. And I needed to switch and ha start having long-term care insurance because that was going to be more important for the future. Um, and then I've heard people talk about long-term care ins insurance. What I have, I got years ago, and I could not afford now. I even had to cut back because the rates went up to the extent I couldn't I couldn't afford it anymore. So what do we do now about long-term care insurance? So there is traditional long-term care, which a lot of people use. Um, that's not my favorite thing, only because also with long-term care, if you pay for it all those years and you don't use it, you lost all that money. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't build cash value. You just spent who knows how many thousands of dollars over the years, died not getting sick and you lost it all. So what we tend to do is use either like a indexed universal life or a whole life insurance policy that has what are called chronic illness riders on it. So that way, if you get sick, those chronic illness riders will pay you out tax-free income every month based off of your, and it'll come off of your death benefit when you die. So if you get sick, you can use it. But if you don't get sick, it has a death benefit that would go to your beneficiary so that you're and they would get that death benefit tax-free. So it, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. You know, if you, if you get sick and you have to use it, it's there for you. If you don't, it's going to go to your beneficiaries, you know, as a tax-free legacy. And what's that called? You can do either a whole life policy That's right. with chronic illness riders or an indexed universal life policy with chronic illness riders. Right. Okay. That's really good to know. What I mean, I'm asking you questions. Um, what are some of the questions you hear most from women who come to you? They're really wanting to know about their finances because, again, 
a lot of them were with brokerage firms. And unfortunately, these usually gentlemen do not want to even answer basic questions. They just want to tell them, well, this is how much money you can have. Um, you know, and I find in general, women really want to understand what they're doing and why. And they tend to look at more things a lot more in, um, I don't know if it's a good word, but like a solid form, like telling them they're going to earn 12% doesn't really mean anything to them. They want to know, can I pay for this? Can I buy that? Can I travel? Can I help my child with my, or my grandchild with college? It's very driven by actual events, not, not numbers. You know, they want to understand, can I do this? Can I do that? What does this look like? Um, you know, do they need, you know, something like long-term care, chronic illness riders? Um, you know, how do they know how much income they need? You know, how do I, how do I set it up where I'm not thinking about this every day? Cause I'd like to go hang out with my grandchildren and not, you know, be worried that the stock market's dropping, you know, so we would, men and women look at things very differently. Um, you know, I always say it's, it's like the good old book. What was it? Uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It's, it's very true on the way we look at things, communicate. And again, women, I think have a lot more questions than men do. You know, if you, if you tell a guy you're going to earn 12%, he's like, okay, I'm good. You know, women, that doesn't mean much. They're like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> you know, so I think we're a lot more detail oriented on what we want to know about what is our money going to do for us. So I, I would say, you know, the, the questions vary, but they're, they're definitely a lot more detailed on, on specifics about what they want to be able to do. And they want to know how to have security, I would say is the biggest thing. There's, there's not a lot of women running around going, oh, hey, I'll just wing it. Um, I just don't think we're structured like that. But I wonder if women actually know more about specifically things they want to be able to do. You know, I know that I want to be able to help my grandchildren with college. I know I want to be able to do a bit of traveling. I know I want to be able to continue to celebrate birthdays and dinners with my friends. I know the specific things I want to be able to do. I wonder if men know that. I mean, they don't ask for it, but I wonder if they even know it. I wonder if they've even thought about it. Um, from what I've seen, they don't seem to as much. I mean, women are a lot more, believe it or not, active in retirement in a lot of ways, too, because they have friendships. They're very focused on their friendships, wanting to travel with their friends, go out with their friends and do things. So I, I definitely I see that difference on, on you know, women interacting in retirement. When should a woman start planning for retirement? Oh, geez in her 20s. Um, now, <laughs> the earlier you can start saving, the less you're going to have to save is definitely rule number one. But anywhere between, I'd say about 10 years before retirement is when you really need to start shifting and looking at, okay, I still need to grow my money, but I also need to protect it. You know, you have market crashes like 2008, things like that. And I there are tons of people who had it too risky. And some of them retired 10 years later, some of them will never retire because they just lost too much. Um, you really have to start toning it down 10 years, five years, definitely. And then when you get into actually withdrawing money, you really have to look at, uh, 
at situations differently on what that drawdown looks like. Um, where do you want to pull the money from? What does it look like tax wise? You know, taxes are a huge issue. People don't look at, um, you know, and again, with women, usually the man's dying first and she's going from a single to a married tax bracket, which can be minimal or it can be huge, depending on where what levels you're you're at. You know, it's it's big um, and the taxes are going to change. I think the Trump tax cuts end the end of 2025. So 2026, you know, that whole structure is going to change again. So, you know, people that have money saved in 401ks, IRAs, things like that, it's called qualified money. It's never had taxes paid on it. So you don't really know what you have. You know, somebody could tell me, hey, I have $750,000 in an IRA, but they don't really have $750,000. It's questionable what they'll have because when they retire, the government's going to tell them how much they actually own, depending on what they decide the tax brackets are. Right. So you really don't know. <laughs> you, right. you have a silent partner called the, the IRS <laughs> that's uh, going to take whatever they want at that point, And you have no say so. You know, they're as much of a partner as they want to be. So. so in order to start really paying attention to what to do with my money 10 years before I intend to retire. I need to have money there to decide what to do with. 10 years movie when I need to decide what I'm going to do with it. But before that, I've got to be accumulating retirement money. Or I won't be able to decide what to do with it. And I can't start accumulating five or 10 years before. I mean, it'd be better to do that than not. But how much could most of us accumulate in five years in terms of then having a steady income for the rest of our lives? You really, the best thing you can do is learn to live on less younger and, and put money away. Don't drink the Starbucks, <laughs> put that money into, you know, if you're younger, Roth IRA, all day long, do a Roth IRA, pay, just pay your taxes now and get it out of the way. And then all your growth inside a Roth IRA is tax free. So at that point, when you retire with a Roth IRA, the government has no control over what you own. It's all mm -hmm. yours. Right. So I didn't know that's what a Roth IRA did. Yeah. So a Roth IRA and a Roth 401k are very different than a traditional IRA and a traditional 401k. I usually tell people, and again, you know, women relate differently. So in, when you start talking numbers, everybody gets confused as to the tax status. So I generally tell women, I say, hey, listen, let's just say we went out to lunch we saw a furniture store and you saw this couch you really liked over there. So we went over to check it out and the nice salesman came over and said, hey, I see you really like the couch. You can take it home with you today and you don't have to pay me anything for it. How do you like that? And of course you're like, well, that's cool. But then he throws in, but even though you're not paying me today, when you retire, I can come charge you anything I want for that couch and you legally have to pay me do you still want the couch? And everybody's like, no, I don't want the couch. But people want to put money in a regular 401k all day long, not realizing it's it's the couch. And you really don't want the couch, but no one's explaining it to you. Um, you know, we've just been told, put your money in a 401k and defer those taxes, you know, for immediate gratification of having a little more money. But Inside a traditional IRA, you pay nothing now, but all of your growth is completely taxable. When you put your money in a Roth IRA, you're paying taxes on what you put in. None of your growth is taxable. 
I mean, that could be several hundred thousand dollars of tax-free money just from paying the little bit of tax when you put it in. It's a huge difference, but we're not taught that because no offense, but the government's not a dummy. They're, they're teaching us to put money in a 401k and just grow them more and more taxable money. You Who know. can have a Roth IRA? Anybody can have a Roth as long as you make. There are certain uh, limits. I think it's 135000 I want to say, for single. It's a little higher for married. Um, the rates change on what you can earn, so you'd have to look that up for that year. But as long as you don't earn over a certain amount, you can contribute to a Roth, and then it's going to grow tax-free for you. So, you know... Can you transfer money from a regular IRA to a Roth IRA? You can do a conversion. Um, it would be a Roth conversion, which in some cases works out great for people. In some cases, it's not the best thing for people because you're going to end up paying more taxes doing the conversion. You really need to talk to somebody that understands taxes as to, you know, if I do a Roth conversion, what does this look like? What am I paying in taxes now versus what would I be paying down the road? Um, you know, again, some people it's phenomenal for, and some people it's not gonna it's not gonna work converting best for you. If that's something, you know, very detailed tax wise that would right. have to be, you know, on like an Excel spreadsheet to look at. <laughs> right. Dan, do you think the notion of retirement has changed over time? I did. I think a lot of people are working a lot longer. Some people want to. Most people need to. Everything's so expensive. People are not able to afford to retire as much. Retirement's also changed a lot in that, you know, people used to retire and maybe spend 10 at a max 15 years in retirement. Now people are retiring at 62 and living to 95. You know, that's a long period to have to support off of what you've saved. So, you know, the the arena is, is very different on, on how people are approaching that. It's also a long time. I mean, if, if we used to retire at 62 or 65 and die by the time we were 70, that's one thing. But if we retire at 62, 65 and live until we're 90 or 95, that's a long time not to be not just to be retired. I mean, money aside, it's just a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you're gonna retire, I mean, I don't see myself ever fully retiring. I think my brain would get mad. It likes challenges and strategies, you know, too much. Um, you know, I think most people would either work or you know be involved in some sort of charity organization. You know, I said, if I if I ever actually retired, I'd want to go out and raise money for charity because I think I would be good at that. And that would that would be something that would, that would drive me. You know, I think most people I, just to want to be alive, you need something that drives you. You know, what are you you know passionate about? Um, you know, luckily for me, I'm passionate about what I do, helping women with their money. So for me, it's great, which is why I said I don't see me retiring at any point. Um <laughs> You know, there's no reason I, I can't do this forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, if somebody is going to retire, they I would suggest, you know, that they find out what they're they're passionate about, you know, whether it's their, you know, their church, a charity, you know, whatever it might be, you know, plugging into that where they have something to wake up to every day that they feel needed, I think is huge. 
So, so well, I was just about to ask you, so what, what's next for you? What are dreams you haven't followed yet? And is one of them to raise money for charities that you really like and support? The, one of the things I still want to do off of my business actually is to set up a nonprofit that helps older women in retirement because a lot of older women live only on social security. So I'd like to set up a nonprofit that actually comes in where people can, you know, women who have done well can actually set up and donate to helping out women that have ended up only on social security where, you know, it provides them extra monthly income or something like that. Um, I've wanted to do for a while. I haven't, um, I'm dealing with my, my own issues. My mom has Louie buddy dementia. So I'm dealing with, with stuff with her. So my extra time has been a little, uh, little limited because I'm her caretaker also. So time, time, some size is a issue. <laughs> right. I think that's true for a lot of women, actually, when they get to a certain point, it's uh, roles switch around, but that's a wonderful dream for you. I think that uh, that would be so important because there's no way anybody can can survive on Social Security right now. And so that would be wonderful. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll get it done at some point. <laughs> yeah, good. Good. So, Janet, I could imagine people are going to get want to get in touch with you. If they want to, how can they do that? Uh, the easiest thing to do would be to go to my website, which is just Jen, J-E-N, and then Trowbridge, T-R-O-W-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. So just go on jentrowbridge.com and you can schedule a call, look, look through all the different things that we offer, what our processes look like. And that would be the, the easiest thing to do. Uh, there is a button on there you can click, which you'll get actually get a 30-minute free call with either myself or one of my other amazing ladies just to ask questions and see if we would be a good fit or not. Well, that's our time today. So please join us again. You can find out about Prime Spark podcast at every popular outlet. You can find out about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Jen Trowbridge. And don't forget, you can find her at jentrowbridge.com. Thank you for being with us. Spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to stay updated, you can head over to my website, primesparkwomen.com and get my free spark guide, seven questions to ignite your spark to help you discover your own spark. See you in the next episode.